And so I'm excited to come uh, bring to you the word of the Lord this morning to talk about evangelism. I know probably some of you just saying that word makes you shudder in fear, but that's what we're going to talk about, so get over it. All right, so here we go. Um, the reality is that if you're in this room and you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've chosen to follow him, then you are a product of somebody bold enough to share the gospel with you. Whether it was a parent, whether it was a friend, another family member, whether or not it was a pastor, or maybe even if it was an evangelist uh, like Billy Graham or someone like that, somebody stood in front of you and boldly declared the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel so gripped your heart that you were changed forever, never to be the same. Somebody was an evangelist for you. And if I were to ask you to tell your story, obviously every single person's story is unique in its own way. None of us came to faith in Christ the exact same way. Yeah, but if I were to ask you about that moment for you, you could probably verbatim tell me what happened on that day, the events leading up to that day, the events that transpired thereafter. It is etched and seared in your heart what God did for you, and you'll, you'll never forget it. And we know without a shadow of a doubt, the biblical mandate for us is to go out and share Christ with other people. We know this, but this is what we teach the kids right after they accept Christ and they get baptized. You know what we say to them? Well, now you got to go tell everybody about it. And we do, right? And those kids do. The kids are like the best evangelists in the world. But we, we obviously know that this is true, but oftentimes we don't because we, as adults, we fear. There are a lot of things that we fear. We fear that we may offend somebody. Well, I don't want to offend what you believe, so I'm not going to approach this with you. For many of you, it may be that you feel like you don't know enough. Well, what happens when they ask a question that I don't know the answer to? Well, obviously they're not going to be converted then. Because the moment they trip me up, it's game over, so I won't even try. Some of you may be, may be feeling even like the task to share the gospel with the lost is too great for you. That job was meant for people like Billy Graham and Jerry Lewis, right? You, might, you may be there. Oftentimes we fear especially the face-to-face -face interaction that comes with speaking to someone. So at best, if we're to share Christ, it's on Facebook or Instagram. We fear these things. The reason that we fear these things is because our idea, our ideal measure of success is the conversion of souls. Now, this is a goal that should be aimed at. J.I. Packer says that when we evangelize, we should be aiming for the conversion of souls. But that should not be our ideal measure of success. Donald Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, says that evangelism is successful when, number one, God is glorified, and number two, the gospel goes out. Number one, when God is glorified, and number two, when the gospel goes out. If our only measure of success is the conversion of souls, then people like Billy Graham, people like Paul, we would consider failures. Because although many thousands came to Christ through these people, not everyone did. And so we have to understand that our ideal measure 
uh, of success in evangelism is that God is glorified and the gospel goes out. Why is that? Because we do not have the power to convert souls. We don't. Sorry to burst your bubble. That power does not lie in us. There's the power of God. We will get to that a little bit later. You are, in fact, created to do this. I don't know if you knew that, but you were, in fact, created to do this. You might be thinking, oh, Michael, now listen, I took that spiritual gifts inventory, their grace, and there that evangelism was like the last one on my list. Well, guess what? This is not optional. It may not be in your top three. I know you all like to stay in your lane. I'll, number one, I'm shepherd or I'm merciful. Maybe that's just where I'll stay. No, you, you are not, uh, you are not exclu- excluded from evangelizing because it's not your main spiritual gift. This is a biblical mandate given in scripture that we are to do, we are to evangelize. You are in fact a fragrant prisoner of Jesus Christ and we should be obedient to share the great news of salvation. So before we get into this, I know y'all are probably thinking, oh great, this is going to be a guilt trip type of sermon that I ain't sharing Christ with anybody, so I'm not just going to beat down my throat. That's not what I'm going to do today. Here's where we have to start. If evangelism is going to roll off of our lips, if it's going to roll out of our hearts and be something that we participate in daily, when it becomes a discipline to us, we first and foremost have, have a correct view of who God is and a correct view of who we are in proportion to him. We have to have a deep, deep love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to dive into this passage And we're going to see this relationship between us and God. And we're going to see the greatness of Jesus on display. And how after that becomes rooted in our hearts, evangelism becomes something that flows out of us. All right, so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If uh, if you've got your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. I've got three truths for you all uh, this morning uh, that talk about uh, this passage Uh, Truth number one is that we smell good to God. We smell good to God. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, some of y'all are like, well, the person next to me, not so much. But yes, we smell good to God. Chapter two, verse 14 is where we're gonna start. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So I learned something during my word study time. Uh, Paul is a master of words. It's almost as if Paul just like makes up his own words. But this word that we see, uh, if you look at the passage here, it says uh, Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. That phrase, leads us in triumphal procession, is actually all one word in the Greek. So I want to explain to you guys uh, what he's saying here. So back in Roman times, after there would be a war or a battle, uh, th- th- there would be obviously a victor and there would be a loser of the battle. And so the victor, whoever won, they would come back to their city streets and they would throw this monstrous celebration. They would throw a huge parade, this procession that is led by the king. The king led them in battle and here they are. So here they are walking through the streets and the civilians of the city would be throwing flowers. They would be celebrating the troops all walking in nice uniforms right behind them. That's what they'd be doing. It'd be this grand celebration. In modern times, it would be something like when, in, 
when a team won the Super Bowl, you know, they go back to their city and they have this big old parade and everybody has a good time. It was kind of like that. And so what we could possibly think when we read this, oh, so Paul is saying that, that, God, that Jesus leads us in triumphal procession. Paul is saying here that I'm on the winning team, so we're prancing about the street of the city, declaring the victory. We won the battle. We're on the winning side. That is actually not what Paul is saying. As a matter of fact, the actual understanding of this word even John Calvin himself couldn't believe this word means what it means. You see, in this procession, when they're parading it around the city in victory, the loser of the battle, the enemies, those who are still alive and who have surrendered are also in this procession. They are prisoners now. And they are being walked about the street in humiliation. And what the Romans would do is at the end of this procession, with their prisoners, they would sacrifice their prisoners to the Roman gods. So they've lost, they're humiliated, and they're led to their death. Paul says that's who he is. He says, I'm the loser of the battle. I'm the one who surrendered. And now I am walking in this procession in humiliation to my death. That's what Paul's saying. It's hard to fathom that's what he's saying. John Calvin himself couldn't even believe this. But he alludes to this. He uses the same word in Colossians, but, but to another place in Colossians, he says this in Colossians 1, 22 through 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He says you were hostile in mind. You were an enemy you weren't fighting on his team. You were fighting him. You were the enemy of the battle. You were doing evil deeds. You were not on the winning team. That's what he is saying. That is our stance before him. And when we come to faith in him, we submit ourselves. We lay down our arms and we say, no more can I do this. I'm here to follow you. So then we are led in this possession as the losers of the battle. That's where we stand. So when it says that he leads us in triumphal procession, we lost. That's what this is saying. We were not triumphant. We were triumphed over. We were not triumphant. We were triumphed over. So if we look at the end of verse 14, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. The imagery in here is so key. March, we are being marched around, admitting defeat, spreading his fragrance to say, it's not me. I wasn't on the winning team. I was fighting the winning team. But now I've laid myself humbly at his feet and decided to follow him. That's where we are. We are spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him through our 
loss. Continue verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. See, Paul is, 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 is amazing with words. The word that he uses for fragrant, you see the word fragrant in the Greek, it means neutral. It means that something that may smell good to me may not smell good to you. But the word aroma is a completely different Greek word. And it only means something that smells pleasing. It has a sweet smell. That it only smells good. So what's he saying? So when we're being, when we're spreading his fragrance, to some, it smells good to some, but not to others. But we are the aroma of Christ to God, which means when he sees us, for those who are in Christ, who have laid down their arms, it is a pleasing aroma to God the Father. We smell good to God. That's what he is saying. Aroma is super pleasant. So I, I can't get this out of my mind. One time I was, I went to Disney World. It was several years ago, and they had just opened this new ride that was called Soarin'. Has anybody ever been to Disney and rode the ride Soarin'? Uh, we got like three, four. Okay, well, you all should. All right. So basically, this ride—it's uh, like a virtual reality where you you go up on this glider and it's just this big screen and it takes you around the world to all these different places and you get to see these beautiful sights, these beautiful places that that well, I've never been before, but it just takes you around the world. But it's not the sights that get you. What Disney did, did so marvelously with this ride is that they spray like fragrances of wherever it is that you're flying over. So your, all of your senses are, are reacting. And you can smell actually being there. It's almost as if you were actually there. So they've changed it in recent years. But my favorite part of that ride, back, when they, back in the day when they did it, was, was you would fly over this, this orange grove. You flew over this orange grove and you could just smell the oranges. And oh my word. Like uh, that smell and that vision will always be seared in my mind because it was such a pleasing aroma. I can remember that. Scripture says that we are a pleasing aroma to God. For those who are in Christ, you've laid down your arms. You smell good to him. You do. We are no longer his enemy. We no longer smell bad. You, in fact, smell good to him because of Jesus. You see, if we look at this battle, right, we, we see this battle of, 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 of Jesus and his army versus us, the enemies. And not only did he triumph over it, but if we look at the reality of the gospel, he, the king, laid down his life for the enemies. In what story do you know of that happening? That the king himself would lay down his own life for the ones who are trying to kill him. We were the enemies. We were the ones fighting against him, wanting to do our own way, wanting to live in sin, wanting to live in darkness, wanting to live in death. And Jesus, Jesus offered his body as a sacrifice for us. The punishment that we deserve, being enemies. He did that for us. Washed us in his blood. And when we laid down our arms, when we said, I'm done fighting, I surrender to you. And his blood 
washed over us, forgiving us of our sins, taking our sin and shame that he joyfully endured on the cross for us. He gave us his fragrance. So now when God smells us, he smells Jesus. That's what this verse says. For we're the aroma of Christ to God. That's the gospel. We didn't deserve it. But man, did he show us mercy. Man, did he show us love. And we bring this truth with us. So if we look in, in evangelism, we bring this truth with us. We tell people that we no longer live in darkness. We are no longer fighting him. And we no longer smell like the world. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 said this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If you're in this room and honestly with evangelism, if you've ever doubted your ability to speak with plausible words, with lofty wisdom, guess what? Paul struggled with it too. He did. But it's not about our strengths. It is about the power of God working through us. That's the reality. But that's also the gospel itself. In our power, we we are not righteous. We can do no good. That's what Romans tells us. It's only through Jesus that we can. He looks at you and you smell pleasing to him. You are a pleasant aroma because Jesus cleansed you with his blood. In Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Jesus' death was a fragrant offering. Paul was a mastermind of paradox. Fragrant offering? If I were to tell you that I was going to burn a carcass, would that smell good? No. But it says that he was a fragrant offering to God. That to some, fragrance neutral, remember? So for to some, it's like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. But to others, it's life itself. And God sees that and says, it's pleasing. And that's what he sees when he sees us. For the Christian in here, God does not smell your hangups, your ability, your inability, your shame. He smells Jesus. The second truth that comes out of this passage is that we smell bad to some. We smell bad to some. Verse 16 to one, a fragrance from death to death. See, the reality is that we are pleasing to God, but we are not to some. We smell like death to them. If we look at the triumphal procession that, that I just mentioned a minute ago, and we are the losers of the battle being shamefully humiliated in front of the city, saying that we've lost the battle, we've laid down our arms, we're willing to be prisoners to Jesus. Well, the world doesn't like that. The world doesn't like that we would do that. Why would you shamefully 
lay down your arms, shamefully walk in this as a prisoner, and shamefully go to your death. It doesn't make sense. The world does not like this. Jerry even said this a couple weeks ago. The world can't understand that we would rather be prisoners of Jesus than princes of Satan. There's truth in that. To them, we stink. There's nothing appealing about being the loser of the battle, marching to your death. There's nothing appealing about humbling ourselves for those who do what they want to do. The world thinks you stink when you follow in Jesus' footsteps. The world thinks you stink when you give your marriage a second chance. The world thinks you stink when you're an unmarried person and you refuse sex. The world thinks you stink when you fight same-sex attraction. The world thinks you stink when you stand on Scripture to be the foundational truth of your life. The world thinks you stink. And as Jerry mentioned earlier, the world thinks you stink that when you're going through the worst time in your life that you would still stand in a place like this and throw your hands up to worship God. They think you stink. When I was a baseball player at Montreat College, um, I was a Christian, but I did not live as a Christian. And uh, for the baseball team, we didn't have the best reputation at Montreat. I'm just going to be honest about that. Uh, well, we had this one guy, we had this one guy on our team who broke the mold of that. And his name was Seth Blevins. Seth Blevins uh, was a couple years older than me, and he was a devout follower of Jesus. And if I could say that there's one person that I've ever met in my entire life who doesn't care if the world thinks he stinks, it was Seth Blevins as a college student. So my first couple years at Montreat, I pretty much did what I wanted. I, I, I was a Christian, but I, but I did not want to stink to the rest of my teammates. So I did what my teammates did. I followed in their footsteps. Seth didn't budge. But I remember as a sophomore, Seth came up to me. Seth calls me, he called me Al. I don't know why he called me Al. Seth was also a, a weird, quirky guy. And he always squinted when he talked to you, which was really funny. But he came up to me one day, I remember as a sophomore, and I remember him just saying this one small sentence to me that broke me. He came up to me and he said, he said, Al, I don't see Jesus in you. That one sentence broke me. I claim to be a follower of Jesus but I care more about what my baseball team thinks of me than what God thinks of me. And so I was whatever they wanted me to be. I did whatever they wanted me to do. And if I didn't have Seth on that baseball team to <laughs> correct my course, if you will, then I may not be here today. Seth is what I needed. Seth, although was a bad smell to the rest of the team, he was a pleasing aroma to me, and I needed that. 
The world thinks we smell bad. We're different. They don't like it. We want to smell good to them, so we, so we act in whatever way uh, that, uh, that they want us to, to, in order to save our reputation. Ed Welch uh, wrote the book, when, uh, when People Are Big and God Is Small. And he talks in there about how uh, we try to hide our shame with our own man-made devices. But he says we can't. We can't hide our shame with our own man-made devices. Adam and Eve tried that. They covered their nakedness in the garden after they sinned, but they couldn't cover their own shame. Only God can. So this is what he says. He says the ultimate problem appears to be the gaze of other people. But in reality, the problem is within us and between God and ourselves. When we are truly gripped by the gospel, truly, we will live in a way that glorifies Christ. When we are truly gripped by the majesty of God, then we will not be gripped by the fear of of others, Ed Welch goes on in his book to even say that if you have walked among the redwoods, you will never be overwhelmed by the size of a dogwood tree. If you've been in the middle of a hurricane, then a spring rain is nothing to fear. And he says, if you have been in the presence of Almighty God, everything that once controlled you suddenly has less power. And I know you come in here today and you, and you stink to your parents, you stink to your coworkers, you may stink to your children, you may stink to your spouse. The reality is we will either smell like death for some and life for some. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through 18 says this, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We smell good to God, we smell bad to some. And truth number three, lastly, we smell good to others. We smell good to others. To finish verse 16, uh, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. We smell like life to some. There are people who are searching. There are people who see you in that triumphal procession as the loser, the one who surrendered everything, and they still see you worshiping. They still see you in the middle of a hard time worshiping God. They see you in the midst of the world uh, breaking in on you that you're saying, no, I'm going to continue to follow Jesus, and they like what they see. It smells like life to them. They're thirsting for that salvation that you have. And sometimes it may not even be they're thirsting for that salvation. They just want to be around you because you're so gripped by the gospel that you have been changed. To illustrate this for you, let me tell you, I have a friend named Kurt. Kurt is about 75 or 80 years old, and he's a Jehovah's Witness. And about two months ago, Kurt um, came to my house on a Friday, uh, around 11, and we talked for a while. And I have to admit to you that uh, my goal with this encounter was for me just to prove him wrong. I just wanted to be like, I know what I'm talking about. I'm going to prove to you that you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm going to debunk your whole theory about what you think the Bible says. And I'm going to win the day. And you're going to walk away weeping. And we're going to be good. And that was my goal. I'm going to admit this. I'm laying it down to you guys. I'm confessing. That's what I did. 
And so after Kurt and his friend left, I came back inside and I was so convicted by the Holy Spirit because legitimately, I was like, the whole time that we were talking about the Bible, I had my Bible out, they both had their Bibles out, and all we did was talk about Scripture. And not one time did I mention the Gospel. It was all apologetics, it was all script, like nothing. No Gospel. And I was like, what was I doing? So I prayed. I said, God, please bring Kurt and his friend back. Next Friday at 11 a.m., I get a knock on my door. It's Kurt. Kurt's back, and he's brought a new friend. And my goal this time was, we're going to talk about the Bible, but I'm going to so immerse him in the gospel that, that he's going to walk away. Like, that's all he's going to hear this whole time. And that's what I did. And guess what? Kurt has been back almost every Friday at 11 since then. There was one Friday that I was out of town, and he showed up, and my wife answered the door, and she told him my work schedule. I see a lot of Kurt on my days off (laughs) Kurt is at my house a lot and every single time I have yet to talk to the same person whom he brought he brings a new person every single time and I sit and Kurt told me the second time he showed up the, the time after I didn't do it the right way he showed up to my house and he said I just love talking with you he said, most of the people slammed, their, slammed the door in my face. And he said, I just love talking to you. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you got something out of it because I was coming for the kill last week. But he came back, and every single time they show up, I'm just gospel, gospel, gospel. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let me tell you, Kurt, I know the Bible and I know you know the Bible, but here's what I'm gonna tell you, is that once I was hostile in mind doing evil deeds, I was an enemy of God, but he reconciled me back to the Father through his precious blood. He being the king of my enemies laid down his own life for me, and let me tell you, I've never been the same since. And so I've laid down my arms I've laid down my pride. I've laid down my sin. I've laid down my shame. And all I want to do is follow him. And if that means that I'm led in this parade and I'm humiliated, and if it leads to my death and people throw you know, fruit at me or throw whatever they want at me, they want to shame me, whatever it may be, that's fine because I'm in a pleasing aroma to God the Father and I'm good with that. You see, Jesus Christ himself has changed me I will never, ever be the same. And Kurt, I need you to know. And Kurt, if you come back next week, I'm gonna tell you about Jesus again. And Kurt, you come back, keep bringing them. Keep bringing them to my doorstep because I'm gonna keep preaching. Guys, that's the best evangelism when they come to your house. I do it in my pajamas. I just put on a pot of coffee and say, come on in, guys. And it has been so good to talk to Kurt. And to him, I smell like life. Why? Because I... Guys, there are time, plenty of times where he's asked me something. I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know the answer to that. There have been times I've stuttered. There have been times I've literally slobbered on myself, making a fool of myself. But I'm not called to do this perfectly. I'm called to be faithful and obedient in it. Am I disappointed when he walks away and he's not decided to follow Christ? I am. Does it wreck me? 
No. Because I've dropped the gospel on this dude at least 12 times. And I'm, and I'm just praying that God grows the seed that I've planted right there. And I pray that he grows in him something so fierce. Someone who, who, who walks almost every day door to door to share the kingdom of God with other people the way that he does. I hope that someday that we could get someone like him who evangelizes the way that he does, but for the sake of the gospel of Christ. That's my prayer. If I, if I don't see the change in Kurt, that's fine. I just want it to happen. I want to see Kurt's life changed. My job is not to convert him. 1 Corinthians 1.18, but at the very end, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Romans 1.16, for I'm unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This takes the pressure off of you and me. I can't convert him. I've been, I've been slamming the gospel against Kurt almost every Friday for two months now. But I can't convert the guy. The Holy Spirit's gotta do his work. The Holy Spirit's gotta change him. It's the power of God that's your salvation. That's why Paul says in here, in this passage, who is sufficient for these things? Paul knew it wasn't him. Paul did not have a lofty view of himself. If you think Paul had a lofty view of himself, then read this passage again, because you missed it. Paul's like, who's sufficient? It ain't me. It is not me. He even says down in chapter three, that if you just go down a few verses, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Listen, that we are not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It's not in our power, it's in his. The thrust of 2 Corinthians, many, many scholars believe 2 Corinthians is one of the most confusing books that Paul wrote because it's not thematically uh, like labeled like Romans or Ephesians. It, doesn't, it seems like it doesn't have like a good progression. It's almost like his thoughts are just sporadic. But if you, over, if you look overarching at 2 Corinthians, you see this idea of he's so warning them about false teachers. In chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he calls them super apostles. He calls them super apostles because they were saying, I'll share with you this message as long as you pay me some money. If you give me some money, I'll, I'll share with you this good news. But, but it's worth the coin. It's worth your money. And they criticized Paul. And they questioned Paul's authority. Because Paul wasn't charging anyone. He was saying, look, what I have to offer you is so priceless. There's not, a, there's not an, a dollar that you can give me. There's not a penny that can buy what I have to offer you. I'm going to give it to you freely because Jesus gave it freely for me. So I got to share with you this good news. And they hated him for it. So Paul was warning them, don't go around those guys. That's why he says in this passage... He says here in verse 17, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of, of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We are not in this for monetary gain. This is a message of life and death, and it is in fact priceless. God chose us to be the one who spreads 
this good news. Will Metzger in his book tells the truth, tell the truth. It's in a book on evangelism. And this is what he says. God didn't send a track. He prepared a body. God didn't send a track. He prepared a body. We're his plan A, guys. We're the ones. He has prepared us for this. He has been preparing us for this. It may not be your spiritual gift, but you were created for this. I have five more points, so just bear with me, all right? Here we go. It's a practical application, then I'm done, I promise. there, There are five of them. Some practical application for evangelism as we go from here. Number one, love the gospel. Love the gospel. Guys, this is, this is where everything that flows out of us has to stem from. If we try to do all of these spiritual disciplines, backing out from evangelism for a second, all these spiritual disciplines, without a deep-rooted, growing love for the gospel, it's in vain. It's as if you were trying to grow a rose bush and couldn't grow it. And so what you did is you go to the florist and buy a bunch of roses and put them on your rose bush. In a couple, and for a couple days, they may look pretty, may get some compliments, but they're not connected to the source, so they're gonna die. The gospel has to be rooted in us. And the disciplines, all of these, come flowing out of us. You share what you love. Love the gospel. Grow deeper in the gospel. The gospel is not your ticket into heaven. It's the basis of of all the things that we do. It is. We should be growing in our love for the gospel. Secondly, pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities. This is a bold prayer. I'm warning you. You pray this prayer, it'll happen. Kirk comes to my house once a week, guys. Yes, what will also happen, not only will God give you these instances, but he will prepare your heart to notice when lost people are around you. Because my guess is you're around lost people all the time, but you don't realize it. And if you pray this prayer, he'll prepare your heart for that. Thirdly, practice. Practice, practice, practice. Practice with your spouse. Practice with your life group. Practice here at the church. Find a Jehovah's Witness. Listen, there's nobody in this world, there's no Jehovah's Witness who will not talk about the Bible with you. I'm dead serious. That's why they're at your house. Make them some coffee, open the door, and share the gospel with them. Practice. Fourthly, make it a discipline. Make it a discipline. The reality about discipline, if you've ever had, you've ever been disciplined in working out or anything like that, it means that you do that thing even on the days you don't want to. It means you have to suck it up, bear down, and do it. 
and the results speak for themselves. Make it a discipline. Donald Whitney in his book says that we have to stop just looking for evangelistic opportunities and be aware for every opportunity. Be aware. Be disciplined. And number five, lastly, watch God work. Watch God work. If you share Christ with 10 people this week and one person comes to faith in Christ through you sharing the gospel with them, you're not a failure. That's one soul that you get to see on the other side in heaven worshiping. And then there's nine who you possibly planted a seed with. Watch God work. Watch God work in the people around you, your family, your friends, coworkers. Also, watch him work on your heart as you grow in your love for God and you grow in your love to reach the lost. Watch what happens to you in this. God is good, amen? He's worth our worship. I'm gonna pray for us. Father, you are so, so good to us. We praise you as, as many people who walk into this room and we have our own burdens. We're in the middle of the fire right now. God, we praise you that you are in the fire with us. That you're not letting us face the flames on our own, but you're standing there confidently, lovingly, mercifully beside us. God, you are so good that you would be a king who would lay down your life for the enemy. That you would create me, that you would lose me, and that you would buy me back. God, you are so good. And when I think about your goodness, your mercy, I'm overjoyed. God, help us go from here. Grow in our love for the gospel. Help us to understand that we are a pleasing aroma to you. Help us not ebb and flow because we smell bad to the world. But let us be the fragrance of life to those around us. Help us as the body of Christ share your gospel to a lost and dying world. God, I pray if there's someone in this room who has never made this choice, this decision to lay down arms and follow you with their whole heart, I pray that you move mightily in them today. That as the gospel goes from here, they would repent of their sins they would choose to follow you and offer their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God as their spiritual act of worship. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. A couple things before we go. All things are on schedule for tonight. Reach out, grapple, youth, uh, equip you classes if they're still going. Um, if we don't mind, if we could take down chairs on both sides. Guys, share the gospel this week.
you are sent. 